Okay, well, uh, today I'm Pastor Eric. Um, I'm the lead pastor here at Common Ground Northeast, and we are starting a new series that's kind of a continuation of a series that we did uh, many years ago. Uh, I think in 2019 is when it happened. Um, Because of that, we didn't want to reiterate um, or, or reteach the things we taught then, but also we, we don't want you to be completely out of the loop. So I'm going to give a, a little bit of a, um, a recap of those things and remind you of what those um, did. This month, starting May, so not t- technically today, but in May, it is Mental Health Awareness Month. I would like to tell you that we're doing a, a series on mental health and the gospel because it's mental health awareness. I did not plan that. That was just the Holy Spirit coincidentally making this line up so that it would uh, happen at the right time. Um, and so I do want to say it is Mental Health Awareness Month all through May, and we will be doing mental health in the gospel all through the entire month. And so, I don't know, praise Jesus, I guess, for that alignment, um, but it wasn't quite as cool as it could have been. I should have just lied to you all and been like, see, we lined this up perfectly, but I'm not going to judge you. Um, so we did a mini-series, two parts, two sermons, um, on mental health and the gospel, and it generated lots and lots and lots of interest. I got text messages, I got emails, I got questions, I got, well, what about this thing? Because we were really only able to talk about anxiety and depression as like this two-sided coin. What about trauma? What about addiction? What about um, some, some, some of the... Um, even more difficult things um, like schizophrenia and what do you do with those things? And we, uh, what I realized is that we hit a, a nerve, scratched an itch that I didn't realize was so necessary. I also didn't realize how ignored it has been traditionally in the church. Anyone tracking with that? So I remember saying at the end of the final sermon that we're going to have to come back to this topic at some point, and uh, so that's what this is. Um, we have uh, 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 the entire month to work on this. Um, we're hoping to get, uh, we're, we're still trying to solidify the person, um, but we, we're hoping to get at least one person who is a, um, you know, a professional in this area and um, for them to come in and speak on it. But, but what I wanted to remind you is we had a, a, an elder, once, one time um, Darlene Washington, and she was a psychiatric nurse practitioner and she helped me develop the, the first sermon. She was in fact the one who said, we need to talk about this. If we're the kind of church that talks about things that no one else will, this is something that needs to be at the forefront of this. And so Darlene helped us to create that. She talked a lot about the intersection of uh, um, her own story, mental health and spirituality. So, so this idea that there's a general stigma on mental health, um, that it is a, a form of weakness if you are to get help, right? And even inside of the Christian church, there's a stigma of faith being at odds with um, the, the community of, of uh, therapy, counseling, and, um, uh, and psychology, psychiatry. And so um, if you buy into that, what it does is it stops you from realizing that you may have a struggle that you need to deal with, from admitting it, even if you do know, or from getting help that might be available and you've been, um, maybe a barrier has been created there because you, you feel embarrassed or you feel like you can't quite um, tr- uh, make that jump. And so um, we talked about in that time that we want to uh, allow the church to bring this to the forefront, that it cannot be ignored altogether, and that we want to make sure that we don't off- do what often happens is just lean on cheap answers, which can be harmful, right? It minimizes the issue. It's easy for me just to say, well, uh, if you had enough faith or if you prayed enough and you kind of sweep somebody's struggle under this rug that you're calling faith, but all the while, we are a church and a people of faith, right? Right? 
And so there's this tension that Darlene helped us to understand in the midst of this, that we don't get to just opt out with cheap answers, but we also are a people of faith, and we have to bring ourselves into that, not minimize, not suppress, not sweep people's struggles under the rug. And so it was really helpful to have her tell her story and the tension she lived. In fact, I'm going to do a little quote from something. I have her notes. We tried to bring those sermons up front and, and recirculate them so you could see them. We don't have them recorded. Somehow we missed that. We just weren't as on top of it during that time. Um, but I did have her notes, and I can directly quote um, some of the things that she said, and I will do that on a couple of, of occasions. And so what she tried to make us understand is that in the scientific world, in the medical world, on this issue, um, spirituality tends to fall into two very different categories. One is that it is a, a legitimate um, a plausible tool for helping one's mental state, that having a higher power of some sort is something that is good that people can lean on and it helps them through things. And then if you swing the pendulum all the other way, um, and she cited Sigmund Freud, that it's an illusion. Faith is an illusion and actual proof of neurosis that somebody needs help. And so you could see those are very different ends of that spectrum, right? And so she's like, I have to live in that world all the time. And, and here's, here's a quote. At one point she said, as a medically trained psychiatric nurse practitioner who prescribes medications and as a person of deep faith who believes in, heal, in the healing powers of an omnipotent God, my two worlds of medicine and faith often collide when I am able to view the deep chasms of one's mental brokenness and the shattering of their spiritual faith. Did you catch that she didn't try to resolve the tension? She just has to live in it. And so in a sense, Darlene was helping us to understand that we have our own participation as a people of faith and a spiritual community that has both done good and bad, and we have to own both of those things. And help us to understand that we may not have all the answers, um, that there are things that God has provided that we'll talk about today that, that would say we don't get to um, just opt out and, and run to easy answers, but to live in that tension, and that's what we're going to do today. Ultimately, it's my hope that Common Ground um, Northeast is a safe place, a better um, place that maybe uh, you have experienced in the past that has not dealt with things like this well, and that we're a part of the healing process and not adding to your pain. Now, that being said, if you have been around me at all in the last month or two, um, I, I walk into this series with a level of what I would call holy fear. Um, I, and I think it's good. Even well-meaning people can say something that they believe is good in this context on this topic, right? And then realize they just caused somebody else even deeper pain. Do you see what I'm saying? It's one of those unique topics where you could accidentally be like, oh yeah, this and this and this, and that's good. And someone's like, that's not good. You're not seeing the whole story. That's even worse. Back up. Stay in your lane. What do you think you're doing here today? And so what I want to do is open us up for this as a type of dialogue. Sermons are monologues, right? And so here we're going to speak and kind of present and give some things. But if at any point you have a question, please, please email. If at any point you have a rebuke and you want to say, I don't agree with you, Eric. Please email that. I know well enough that I'm not a professional in this area. I don't think I'm going to get defensive in the midst of, of, of any kind of pushback on this. Um, at least that's my hope. So if you have questions or even rebuke, I want to be open to that in this series. Please remember, um, though, that I'm human. I'm going to mess something up along this way. 
Uh, I'm going to possibly offend without knowing it. Um, This is not unique to this sermon, but in every situation, I have to read multiple books when I jump into a topic like this because I want to speak as intelligently as I can, but also recognize that there are limitations to what I can bring to the table. And I'm here to deliver sermons, not to catch you up on the science trends that are taking place right now, not to catch you up on therapy um, and, uh, and the things that are happening in that specific discipline, but I have to know enough um, to catch it. And so I've read multiple books, I'll mention them throughout the series, and, um, uh, and I still think there's um, a need for us to recognize that it's incomplete, right? So it's possible to, um, and we want to make sure that people are aware of this, maybe the church has been a source of pain for you, maybe you've endured spiritual abuse, maybe you have um, undergone, not in a church, but just, hey, like, I don't feel safe that this is a conversation I can have with the church right now, even if that's not the source of it, and so it's possible that you want to check this out from the safety of your own home and just tune in online. You just feel like, ah, I don't know, it may, may, something might come up that I'm not really comfortable, and then people may ask me about it, I'm just not ready for that. So, so feel ha- free to have that permission. Maybe you need to step out of this one for just this series, and um, that's fine. Just know that, that we're here if you have anything um, that you would like to say in the midst of that. All right, fair enough. That's my framing. Um, the rest of this sermon really is kind of more, still some more framing. In fact, the, the, I had a third point. I killed my third point because it was way too long. We'll talk about that third point next week. Um, but I think the first two are worth us um, tuning into um, as we start this conversation. I think um, that I want you all to know, now I, t- I told this, when we gave our first sermon series, I gave you my story and my battle with mental illness personally. Um, and so I've had some training in it as a pastor. There are, I, my, my first major was actually counseling and therapy, and so I got to bring some of that stuff into my ministry at times, um, but then I've also specifically, personally dealt with, with mental health issues. And so I'm going to re-give that in a very smaller, a much smaller way so that we can, um, I want you to know what platform I'm speaking from, right? Not a health professional, somebody who definitely sees the scriptures as applicable in this, but also somebody who has walked through a deep, dark season of depression as well. And so um, let me give that quick little nutshell of a version and let you all um, kind of in- internalize that. My hope also is that um, I, 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 we're not a hierarchical church, right? Um, but there are these times when it's like, well, that's the pastor, right? That's the pastor. Um, and, uh, and there's a tendency where you can like throw on the cape and act like everything's good and all together. And then there's a different way to step out in front of you and say, me too, Right? So, so if you struggle with this, pastor, then I can be okay sharing that I struggle with this, right? And so that's, that's probably the, 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 the thrust of why I want to share this. So um, it, uh, my, my first, let me say my first time de- where I recognize this, something's up, something has to be done about this. Um, there were some catalysts. I'm not going to bore you with all the drama of my 17-year-old high school situation. Um, but uh, there were catalysts. And, and let me actually, I, I'm going to apologize for saying that. Let me actually apologize for saying that. All right, we're like one point in, and I'm already apologizing to you. In that moment, this was the most, actually, okay, a girl, I, I know this sounds like, I, okay, listen, listen. There, yeah, some of this is real time. You're watching this happen in real time. A girl broke up with me, and it, and it flipped everything in my life around. That scene, there's a way in which you can distance yourself from that and be like, come on, get over it, man. But then there's a real way in which that's all your life revolves around. That is as important as it got in that moment. You've got college decisions. You've got relationship decisions. There's all these things. So, so let me not minimize that that might be something you can be going through, and it's not silly, um, 
even though as you walk away from it, you can kind of look back and it doesn't seem as big a deal now as it did to me in that moment. Um, that wasn't the only thing, but that was one of the main ones that, that like this happened in that moment and some things um, happened as a result. Um, okay, so as it started, I progressed through this deep depression. I stopped hanging out with my friends. I just go to this at lunchtime. I just go sit under this tree and eat my lunch alone. I began to see the thoughts and processes in my mind get even darker and deeper into a place wherein I started to think about suicide. Now, what you have to know is that my mood in this season would shift constantly to unrecognizable extremes, right? So it, what would happen is usually at night when I was mostly alone, um, uh, I would start to be in my own head and, and, and think about these things and things would be real dark and, and, and heavy and deep and I didn't know what to do with it to the extent that I would be thinking things that when I woke up in the morning, I would think back, what, was, what is wrong with you, man? Like, think, chill out. Like me saying this to myself, it's not as bad, like the world's not caving in, but you can see where I'm like, at, at certain times this thing would hit, and then at certain times I would even step out of that and, and just wonder, what, what, what is wrong, man? Take it easy. Like I'm dealing with these two persons, it's the same person, don't hear me wrong, but it's like I could be in a place where I, I didn't even recognize the other me, and so I'd be like, what, what was wrong with me last night? Why was I acting like that? Just being dramatic, I guess. The insidious thing about depression is that it messes with your desire or your drive to do anything about it. If anyone in here deals with depression that was more familiar than you probably wanted me to out in a public scenario like this. That is the reality of it. So imagine you're hurt, you're bleeding out of your arm, you can see it cut down so deep, this is dangerous, I should go to a hospital, I should bandage it, I should go tourniquet on this thing, deal with this thing, but something in you is saying, I just don't want to do anything about it. That's the thing that happens inside of both anxiety and depression specifically is that it stops you and inhibits you from wanting to do anything about it. So depression has this ability to turn off your desire to fix it, distorts your perception of reality. I remember telling myself in these worst moments, I can't trust myself. I remember thinking, do not believe what your head is telling you. Life is not as bad as you're acting like. You're going to wake up tomorrow and be completely fine. You're going to realize this. Do not buy into what your body and your mind are telling you in the middle of this situation. It's not that bad. Just wait it out. It'll blow over. And in these moments of clarity, I remember thinking, well, what if the other me goes through with it? The me that's like clear and fine, like, look, I'm good. Like, we're fine. Things are, wow, what's going on? would think about the other me and be like, what if that, that guy goes through with it? And one time I did try to kill myself. I don't think I've, I shared this in this last situation. Um, I, I was seeing things, I was hearing things. There was, uh, I believe, a bit of spiritual warfare wrapped up in that situation. But in the end, I tried uh, and it didn't work. And I'm so thankful to God that it didn't. Right now, I am so thankful to God that it didn't happen, but it catalyzed the next situation wherein I reached out for help because I got to school and I wasn't paying attention and I skipped class. This is not me advocating skipping for class, but if it's a mental health issue, you may need to have some conversations and deal with some of those things. And I called my mom and I said, Mom, can you meet me down the street? And she's like, you're supposed to be in school right now. What are you doing? Um, yeah, no, no, I know I'm supposed to be at school. So I went to a payphone. For those of you who are Gen Z, a payphone is a phone you have to pay for. 
uh, with a coin, a small disc of metal <laughs> that uh, you put into the payphone to pay for the paying phone. I call her. I'm like, hey, I'm going to walk down to this Wendy's. Will you meet me? I'll tell you what's going on. And she said yes. Now, like you normally would, she tested it a little bit. Like, are you sure? Like, you know, is this kind of, are you taking, making too much of this? Um, but eventually I said, mom, I don't think, so this, and I remember this phrase. I said, if I don't do something about this, I don't think I'm going to be alive in one year. I just don't think it's going to happen. I, I won't be here. And so it was like, okay, I, I hear you. Let's go to a counselor. So I got to a counselor. It's like this Mr. Rogers wannabe looking dude that I'm kind of making fun of to his face, thinking, why don't you even catch that I'm making fun of you? And as he's debriefing me and having these conversations, he's very patient through my cynicism. Um, and eventually he's like, you have clinical depression, diagnosed, prescribed a medication called Effexor, to which we could not afford to keep paying for. And so once that happened, it's like, well, I have to do something. I can't, like, I know this isn't going to work. I, I, the conversations were fine, but it had its own limit, like four or five sessions. Um, and in the end, we could not afford to pay for the medication. So during this time, I began um, to go to church as well, exploring my faith in the midst of all of these things. Um, my mind is, is like declaring mutiny on me in the midst of this. And in coming to know Jesus, this is, this is what I want to say to you. Hear this well, and then let me, let me give you a disclaimer right afterwards. So don't turn me off. In coming to know Jesus, I found a lot of relief. I found purpose that drove me to go towards something that I didn't have before, a kingdom of heaven that I could be about, and I developed these coping mechanisms as well. I started to, in the midst of that, not allow my mind to get idle because I realized as soon as I got idle and I didn't have something keeping me busy, I would turn in on myself with my own thoughts. And so I always had this little mantra, always be up to something, always be up to something. Don't get so bored that you walk yourself back into that thing again. I would intentionally go hang out with my friends before my mind, catch this, before my mind told me I didn't want to. It's one of those things about depression. You're like, I don't want to go out. I don't want to go out. Then if you actually get yourself out there, you're like, why didn't I want to go do this? This is fun. I like doing this. But your mind is playing tricks on you. So I had to convince myself, just say yes. Just say yes. You don't want to say yes right now. Just say yes and move on. I later learned that exercise was a huge help. We're going to talk about integration with mind, body, and spirit next week. Um, but but the, the physical parts of this can't be ignored. Um, and then making my depression um, an enemy that I needed to fight. I felt like this thing was trying to destroy my life and I was going to not let it. So, so I found drive in pushing back because I turned this thing into an enemy that I had to defeat so it didn't defeat me, all right? Those are just coping mechanisms. There's others. Those were the ones that worked for me. Even with all of that, I can still feel it coming on at times. Um, I visualize it, this is pretty common, as like this cloud in the distance that's always trying to like get close to me. And if it can get proximity to me, it can start to do some damage. But as long as I keep it far off, it doesn't quite have the ability to do that. And so uh, this, is, this is my experience. Um, this is one story. This is Eric Thien's story. This is not necessarily your story. And your perspective, your experience will likely look different. And not all anxiety or depression are the same. Additionally, not everyone finds the kind of immediate relief that I did in that situation. Um, where I get to praise God for that, others might say, I have to sit in this battle for a very, very, very long time. And for me, it lasted about a year and a half. 
Some find God within the midst of this. Some people find that in the midst of this, uh, like any infirmity, um, they don't find peace until they get to be with Jesus in the new heavens and new earth and the other side. Those are realities that we have to contend with here. Um, I hope that my story brings hope, but I also want to recognize that it is not everyone's story. I do believe God provides lots of practical solutions, though, beyond the miraculous, though we want to keep that intention and still believe that miracles are possible today. So before we go any deeper, this is why I want you I want to give you two definitions. Um, one is going to be, I'll give you long and, and short definitions for these, but I want to act, actually just define what is mental health, right? What is mental health? And so we have this uh, definition right here. Mental health is the way your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors affect your life. Good mental health leads to positive self-image, and in turn, and in turn, huh? And I think that means in turn, you are in satisfying relationships with friends and others. Having good mental health helps you make good decisions and deal with life's challenges at home, work, or school. Now that is the um, American Psychological Association, so it's very clinical. Um, this book that I wanted to put in front of you, Depression, Anxiety, and Other Things um, uh, We Don't Want to Talk About by K.C. Waller. Now, um, I heard about this book a long time ago, and I was planning to get it for this series and then found that it was on our shelf. So somebody donated this one, and I'm like, oh, I'll just take that one and read through that. Um, this has been uh, uh, maybe a, even a, a surprise at how well done it was, not because I didn't think this person would be a good writer, but because I didn't think somebody could put together such a good nutshell of an overall kind of picture of this and faith in the midst of it. And he speaks from very clear experience. So if you're interested, depression, anxiety, and other things we don't want to talk about, and I will be um, referring to that. The other one is Sheila Rowe. Uh, There's a middle name in there I'm I'm missing. Um, Sheila Rowe uh, would be the other book that I I did and then um, that that I read. And then as well as, uh, what's, what's the big one? The Body Keeps the Score. Body Keeps the Score, which is really popular right now um, and very clinical. Um, so, uh, but those are the ones that I, in, in prepping for this, brought together. So I want to read you a quote. Um, Ryan Casey Weller, he, he was a pastor um, who got into a mental health crisis, had to leave the ministry, became a licensed therapist, and then wrote the book Anxiety, Depression, and Other Things We Don't Like to Talk About. Um, here is a quote that I want to bring into this. Um, it's critical to understand that mental health is not so much affected by what happens to us as it is how we interpret what happens. This is why two people can have the same experience but feel differently about it. Okay, so I wanted to bring that in because we have this definition, but then we have to understand that it's like a processing thing that takes place inside of it, and no two experiences are going to be the same. No two um, uh, uh, mo- let me say moments or circumstances will be interpreted the same way. Well, in addition to, to mental health, what we need to then ask is what is mental illness? So this one is a lot harder to define. And this is why. It revolves around a couple of unanswered questions inside of the medical community. Is it a disease or is it a disorder? Is it a disease or is it a disorder? Because if it's a disease, then this has bodily, physical evidence that needs to be diagnosed on the basis of symptoms and treated with therapy, medication, or a combination of both. Or is it a disorder that these are psychological issues, harder to diagnose with actual data, right? The first one, you can just go get a brain scan and see what's going on. The second one, you can't necessarily, and it may have similar to the treatments that I just mentioned or different treatments altogether. And then you have to add this other question that's really causing a stir in this community right now. What about social, cultural, and environmental differentiations? 
What do I mean by that? Well, there's this other discipline called biopsychosocial, the, the biopsychosocial approach. And when we think about it, that's bringing in biology, that's bringing in psychology, and it's bringing in the social aspects. So if your cultural narrative is built off of certain things and that disruption happens, that could cause a mental health issue for you. Let me give you an example of what I mean. It, it, it is research-based that the Native American community has a lot more um, mental health issues as related to a disruption in their relationship with the environment. Because a lot of the upbringing and cultural surroundings of that situation involve very intimately connecting with the environment. Inside of Asian communities, it revolves mostly inside of um, disruptions inside of their community, family, etc. Eating disorders, this was an interesting thing. It's not super hard to understand, but um, I just didn't think about it. Eating disorders like um, bulimia and um, uh, what's the other one? I'm, I'm, anorexia are almost only American Western disorders because of our cultural um, framing that we've created. They, they almost don't exist at all in any other context. Um, then um, we've been having a lot of discussion of what does it mean to be a person of color in a uh, racialized society like America wherein you are undergoing a low-level to mid-level stress on your mental state at all times constantly aware of maybe saying something that isn't um, going to be accepted by the majority community that you stand in, constantly thinking about these things, constantly in a, what would be considered a, uh, a stable but traumatized state on a regular basis. How does that affect people of color in America today? Right? All of these are parts of that social element that are now being kind of re-evaluated. Uh, With all that said, um, there's a couple of de definitions. This one's very simple, but let me, let me read the long one, then I'll give you the short one, and then we'll um, go to the scriptures here um, for, the, for our next thing. In most cases, mental illness comes about from a confluence of factors that involve our biology, our psychology, and our environment. This is why the DSM-5, if you don't know what that is, it's like, the, the diagnosis, they call it the Bible, in their, their um, diagnosis Bible inside of this discipline. Um, the DSM-5 defines mental illness as a syndrome characterized by clinically significant disturbance, by a clinically significant disturbance in an individual's cognition, emotion, regulation, or behavior that reflects a dysfunction in the psychological, biological, or developmental process underlying mental functioning. Um, let me give you the really short uh, short version of that, which is this. Mental illness is any persistently harmful thoughts, feelings, or actions. Okay? Um, you can see by simplifying it can actually be an umbrella for a lot of what we just talked about and some of the things that have even still yet to be defined. Um, so mental illness is any persistently harmful thoughts, feelings, or actions. Now, if my story and these definitions sound familiar to you, they should because none of this is very uncommon. None of these things, you, you probably have had some kind of interaction personally with it or in an indirect way. And here's a couple of stats that I just wanted to throw up to you. This is a very familiar situation. Almost 50% of adults will experience mental illness during their lifetime. That's 50%. That's a big number. Approximately one in four adults will experience a serious or life-altering mental illness. 5% of adults, all adults, will experience a mental illness in any one given year. The United States suffers from a dramatic shortage of psychiatrists, and so we're trying to work on that as a society, and among young people, suicide is the second leading cause of death. Now, you've probably heard statistics like this, and it's hard to wrap um, life and meat on the bones of a statistic that is just kind of a, 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 you know, a wooden definition. 
But this is my point. We've had, there's not a person in here who has not been touched or had some kind of proximity with something in the realm of mental health, if not directly, then indirectly through someone that they love. And so here's what I want us to do as we turn to the scriptures. One of the first things I want us to see is that the Bible has a lot to say, has a lot of examples of challenging situations involving mental health. They don't use the language that we use, but I think it's actually easy to find. Um, I'm going to refer back to Darlene when she gave this. She gave a really great synopsis of multiple events that she deemed as a, a nurse practitioner in this field as mental health things. So I'm actually going to quote from her notes. She said, remember Elijah in 1 Kings 19.4. He was so beaten down by ministry that he asked God to take his life. Could one suggest talk of suicide? How about the psalmist David in chapter 42? We hear David cry out that his soul is downcast. He is in turmoil and says, my tears have been my food day and night. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Could David have been drowning in depression? Jehoshaphat shows evidence of anxiety and what could be said about the intellectually and gifted theologian, the apostle Paul. He saw and did a lot. He witnessed the stoning of Stephen. He was beaten three times, shipwrecked three times. I don't know. Paul had a thorn in his side that he carried with him through his life. Could we speculate that some of Paul's agony was in the form of post-traumatic stress disorder? It's there, right? I don't know why we're all so quiet about it, but it, it's there, it's, it's all throughout these pages. And, and what about Jesus himself? And, and we tend, tend to put him in this different category because he was God and human. But he was 100% human and 100% God. And so Matthew 4, 23 through 25, and I think we have this verse up there. Um, it says this, that Jesus... Went, this might be where I got him a little bit out of order. Sorry about that, Eric. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. These are the typical things we think of as, quote, ministry. But then he does this. And healing every disease and sickness among the people. Now, it's going to get more specific, but why won't we count mental illness in the midst of that? Verse 24, news about him spread all over Syrian people, brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. His ministry did not just involve spiritual issues of salvation, nor does he assume that all of these ailments were demonic. In fact, there are separate categories for all of these things. He's got healing and possession in two different buckets. There are healings of the body and of the mind that are described in that one, in those few verses, along with various diseases that are just unnamed. So we could assume, we can conclude that Jesus had a major part of his ministry wherein physical mental health could easily have been a priority. And it wasn't just inside, or sorry, external, it was inside. He was directly under the duress of people constantly trying to kill him. He's sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was under this incredible anxiety. I want to read this to you. Luke 22, verse 39. Luke 22, verse 39 says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw away beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of what? Blood. 
falling to the ground. When he rose from the prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked. Get up and pray so that you would not fall into temptation. And while he was still speaking, the crowd came up. Uh, sorry, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Okay, so we had nine verses. He was anguished to the point of sweating blood. This is a real thing. Hematohydrosis. It's rare, but it happens. It's a condition where the, the, um, the tiniest little blood vessels begin to break under the stress. It is very specifically connected to high-stress situations. Jesus was anguished. He was abandoned by his closest friends, even though he kept coming to them for help, betrayed by one of them who even used a greeting of relational hospitality against him. Additionally, you see him talk about abandonment on the cross when he quotes Psalm 22, and then he's arrested wrongfully. Like, maybe this is too much. Have y'all ever been in a situation where you thought you were going to get arrested? How many, I mean, no one answer. If you've been in the back of a car... Bro, that's stressful, all right? I'm speaking from straight up real life experience. (laughs) If you've been in the back of a car, I'm going to jail today. And in the end, it was a scare tactic and I got off easy. But if you are getting arrested, you know it's wrong. You go to a fake trial where everyone in this room is literally jeering, hissing, booing, all of the things you could think of, hating, spitting, throwing names, using his own name as an insult against him. That is a kind of stress that very few of us could ever even imagine being under. But not, but not, not everyone. Jesus is well acquainted with mental health challenges. Hear that. Hebrews says it like this in verse uh, chapter 4. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That is hope. That is a type of empathy. Listen, like, like you've been around someone who kind of gets what you're going through, but, and, and I want to say, I want to recognize, I remember saying this before, if you, I, I, don't, I don't fully, when people describe anxiety to, to me, I don't fully get it. So I know when I describe depression to other people, you all don't fully get it. And even to the extent that you're like, I don't even know that this sounds real. It just sounds so wild, you know? And so I want to I recognize that. That's not Jesus. Jesus is like, here is the verse saying, oh, I know. I know, and he actually knows. Do you see how that works? It's not this trite way that sets him on the throne in the sky where he's like, oh, you poor humans. It's rough being down there. No, he stepped into it. He can relate to the experience in a real way through deep understanding and empathy exactly, exactly what you've been walking through. He knows every ounce of every bit of mental uh, uh, struggle that you may have in your life. 
So once more, he's not unfamiliar with these difficulties. He gets you intimately, and he made physical mental health a part of his ministry, all right? I want you to hear those things. You can take your worries, you can take your anxieties, you can take your depressions, you can take your compulsions, you can take your addictions, you can take your traumas, you can take your fractures, your disassociations. All of these things can be taken to Jesus. And, that like there's a full stop there, and, hear that, and God gave you a community of people, tangible, real-life people that you can go to when you can't be alone with this anymore. So the second thing that I really want you to hear is that you're not alone in this thing. It's not just Jesus and the scriptures who can empathize with the situation that you're walking through. We have each other to lean on, which includes the general relationship of God's people, but it also includes us depending on each other's gifts and skills and trainings and educations and talents and abilities which help to prop us up when we are unable to do so ourselves. So people probably in this room become therapists and counselors so that they can help people. They become doctors and mental health professionals because they want to be available to help when they can. Remember, whoever depicted uh, faith and spirituality as being at odds against the medical and clinical world, they lied to you. Okay? That's a lie. These two worlds don't have to be at odds against each other. In fact, I love the way that this is. I saw someone wearing it, so I found one. This is what shirts like this are trying to say inside of our culture. It's okay to have Jesus and a therapist too. I I like to think we're past the point where everyone's like, yeah, man, obviously. But maybe not. So hear that. It's okay to have Jesus and a therapist too. This is the body of God's people, the community coming around to offer up their skills and talents. And that's not just to say it's the professionals that deal in all of this. God is constantly reminding us that we were never meant to be alone in this. It is not only preferred, it is prescribed in God's word. You should not be trying to do this alone. That's the bad way of doing this. Get connected. You need community. We talk about this all the time at Common Ground, and I feel like we do have a great community, but your, your community includes these people who have put the time in to become skilled at healing bodies, minds, and hearts because this is their kingdom contribution. This is their kingdom contribution, not at odds with the kingdom. I want to read one more quote from Ryan Weller. It says, A psychiatrist recently told me that if he can get his patients struggling with addiction plugged into a healthy community, then half the battle will be won. I take that to mean community is just as important, if not more important, than any amount of therapy and medication. In fact, community can be a preemptive strike to ward off mental illness, much like a vaccine does with the flu. Research has shown a direct correlation between the size and strength of a person's support system and that person's likelihood to become depressed. People who indicate a low level of social support in their lives are significantly more likely to become depressed than people who say their social support system is robust and meaningful. It's not the number of people we know, but the degree to which you are known by them that matters. All right, did you hear that last part? It's not the amount of people, but the degree to which you are known, all right? So there's therapeutic benefit to general community. 
even outside skilled people who have put in the work to know how to deal in some of these issues more directly. And so what I want us to do is to understand the benefits of community, that that is a practical gift that God has given us to help us deal in these things. So that there's someone who knows you well enough, they can be like, hey, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm cool. No, no you're not. What's going on? No, no, it's fine, like we're good, It's, it's nothing. No, it's not. I know you, something's off. It's that kind of community that can ask those questions, has permission to ask, are you okay? Because that, that can be a powerful, powerful question in the right moment. It can be annoying sometimes, but it's powerful. So listen, we need each other. You are not alone. We need each other. You are not alone. All right? I'm gonna say it a third time. We need each other. You are not alone. All of you, me, David, the king, Elijah, the prophet, Paul, the apostle, and Jesus himself, listen to me. We are literally all in this together. You are not alone. So, so, so I think that's good company, and I think that's a way in which we can understand how these things relate to one another and to the scriptures. It's my desire that the fact of that brings hope to someone who might even be struggling in their situation today, but it's also my desire that there will be a peace and a kind of shalom for all of us to find some sort of rest, whether that be through God's people or through even a miracle. Now listen to me. Will there be times when you have to recognize that all of this is just out of my hands? God's going to have to just take over. Yeah. I felt like that was my situation. Will there be moments when you'll need to just trust God and have faith? Cast your anxieties, cares, like the verse says. Lean on the unseen things of God and just have faith. Yeah, that, there are times where that's the muscle that you're exercising. But there's also many times when your community will need to shore you up because you're weak and you need them. That's this other muscle. There will be times when you need to seek out a counselor or a therapist to help you process what you can't process on your own, and that is a gift of God to you. There will be circumstances where you may need to trust that doctor that God provided for you to recognize that there's a chemical imbalance that will need to be helped with medication. I can't stress that enough. These worlds don't have to be at odds against each other. And so just because we're people of faith doesn't mean these things um, are off the table. And just because we have practical things that we want to take advantage of, like modern medicine, does not mean we don't also at times sit and trust for faith, prayer, for a miracle to happen. It's not off the table. Neither one is. So here are two things that I want you to consider today as we um, close up. And it might be one of the hardest things I've ever asked someone today. Uh, And I'm actually going to ask it in the form of one more quote from this book because I just could not word it any better than what I heard. And it it was one that that just hit me. Um, Casey Waller, um, I think it was his first name. Yeah, Ryan Casey Waller. He said, maybe for you, now, now listen, this is my appeal to those of you who are struggling with mental health now. Get help. Maybe for you, choosing to believe looks like pulling a friend aside and sharing the heaviness that's been on your heart. Maybe it means getting honest in your prayer life and begging God for grace and peace like you've never begged before. Maybe it means picking up the phone and making an appointment with a therapist. Maybe it means finally swallowing the pill that the doctor prescribed for you. Whatever the case, however this looks for you, the key is moving slowly but deliberately into this truth as you make it your own. There is no other way. It may very well be the most difficult thing you ever do, but I'm asking you to do it anyways. I could not tell you the value of that one pay phone call to my mom. 
And I did not want to do it. I did not want to admit to it. I was in a clear state of mind, and I remember thinking, nah, it's like, it's just the, the weird way in which I get sometimes. But that was the moment of clarity to be like, okay, now go tell somebody before the other thing takes over again. So catch, catch it. It's going to be hard. You're going to want to say no, and I'm telling you, do it anyways. I just want to echo the words. If you find yourself in a situation where you feel like you're in a good place and you want to help others, um, I accidentally came across an article that happened to be um, a pastor in this area who wrote this article for the publication company. Um, I've met with this person for lunch one time and then it just randomly, oh, I, I know you, you're from Indianapolis, you used to be a pastor here in this area. And he wrote an article for a publication called Relevant Magazine, um, and he was reminding me of things I needed to have known um, in the midst of this. If you are a friend, know that it's very easy to to be passive and to deny help to people in easy ways, but it's easier when you're in that depressive state just to be like, nah, I'm good, I don't need it, I'm fine, you're okay. It's easy to duck that person. It's easy to just not answer the phone, to just stay home and not be out with people. Um, And so he was saying and advocating advocating that in these seasons of deep, dark depression, you're imposing annoying friend is what you need. And he's saying, so be the imposing, annoying friend that shows up even though you didn't call first, that sends the text message and checks in that might be the difference between them understanding that somebody actually cares. And he said he had this one person that would come over to his apartment and he wouldn't leave him alone. And he said, eventually that person was the one who convinced me to go get help for the mental illness that I was struggling with. So if you are somebody who wants to help others, be persistent, be kind, pray, and understand that often your presence is ministry alone and you don't have to have the right words. Henry Nouwen is famous for this line. He says, the friend who can be silent with us in a moment of despair or confusion, who can stay with us, who can tolerate not knowing, not curing, not healing, and face with us the reality of of our powerlessness, that is the friend who cares. Be a friend who cares. Be a friend who cares. Um, so here's how I want to I end today. Um, I want to read 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 over you like a blessing. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and pray and then read that over you or actually read it over you and, and pray. But I just felt like the words of these scripture were so um, powerful. Right? Jesus is our healer. He is our great counselor. He is the giver of peace. He is the lifter of our head and the firm foundation. Right? He cares about your health both your physical and your mental health. He can uh, empathize with it and he has given you a community of people to love you. Would you stand with me as I read this over? Um, And then do you want to go ahead and come on up, Caleb? It's just the intro to 2 Corinthians and then I'll pray and we'll, we'll close. Lift up our voices together says this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. 
May you be a people who finds comfort in Christ and comforts others. Be the community you wish to have in a season of darkness, of difficulty, of struggle. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for giving us each other. Thank you so much for the opportunity to just be blessed under the scriptures of 2 Corinthians, to recognize the comforter in all that you are. Father, would we go to you and not run from you? Would we go to each other and not run from each other? God, would you give someone here today the strength to reach out for help that previously did not have the strength to do so? And for that person who won't, would you send a meddling, annoying friend right into their life to be there when that person doesn't have the strength to even pick up the phone and dial those numbers? So, Father, be with us. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust in the tools that you've given us. And let us move forward stronger in our faith and understanding of the God of all comfort. And we ask for this right now in Jesus' name. And all God's people.